Coming up on Tech News Today, the real story on cell phone radiation, or at least the latest study in it. Also, the truth behind AT&T's upload problems. We even have an on-the-street report from Jason Heiner. And Google disables Facebook contact sync. We'll tell you why. That and more coming up. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Tech News Today is provided by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Tech News Today for Wednesday, February 23rd, 2011. Tech News Today is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog for a free 14-day trial. Go to Squarespace.com slash TNT. Welcome to Tech News Today. I'm Tom Merritt. Becky Worley on vacation. Sarah Lane is out. I am left once again to find elsewhere awesome smart people and thankfully i found a couple uh, joining us today dan patterson from abc news radio abcnewsradio.com and danpatterson.com welcome dan good to have you back on the show hey, it's always great to be on the show tom uh especially with becky gone we needed a little abc i could never fill becky's shoes but um always happy to she be does there. have large feet also uh joining us from the cbs side of the world uh jason heiner editor-in-chief of tech republic at techrepublic.com part of cbs interactive that's right thanks tom always good to be here great to have you on the show again jason i always appreciate you uh sharing your insights you, he's, you've always got a little insight we've got a little experience story later about the uh the hp stuff right yes yes you've always you've always got your finger on the pulse of something there <laughs> let's uh, let's start off with the uh, announcement that's going to happen tomorrow from Intel. Now there is a, a March second Apple announcement that we'll talk about in the calendar section of the show. We'll get we'll get to that if you're wondering about that. But Intel is going to make a big announcement tomorrow, Thursday, February twenty fourth, and all they're saying is they're going to discuss a new technology that is about to appear on the market. CNET reporting that tech that technology, of course, is Lightpeak. I don't think anybody thinks otherwise. Uh, the big question is along with announcing Lightpeak, will we see new MacBook Pros that incorporate Lightpeak? And there are a bunch of leaks out uh, right now from various sources. Mac Rumors has a picture of specs, what they say are from a new MacBook Pro that includes Lightpeak being called Thunderbolt. <laughs> Not to be confused with the HTC Thunderbolt, which we're still waiting for. Yeah, there's also, um, there's also a picture that Mac Rumors has of the side of the MacBook Pro, which uh, has the DisplayPort with a lightning bolt next to it. Uh, and so everybody's assuming that means DisplayPort will be the light peak connection that will use the DisplayPort configuration. Hmm, interesting. I, um, I mean, this does matter because, you know, high-speed connections are, are great. You know, smaller connectors obviously mean something because then you can, you know, fit more of them potentially on a, on a notebook. They, they take up less space. It helps you have sort of thinner hardware and that kind of thing. 
um, and higher speed. But I have to say my, my one disappointment with this is that I'd really love to see more emphasis put on stuff like wireless USB than sort of, you know, this is basically an upgrade to USB in many and ways. And more wires, exactly. Yeah, yeah, more wires. Like, give us wireless USB. This could be a real game changer. Like, you look at, like, the Motorola Atrix um, phone that's coming out where you can dock it uh, and, and create uh, a desktop or a laptop um, with the phone. The, the bad thing about that is that there's not going to be universal docks um, anytime soon and probably never. Uh, but if they it used wireless USB, there could be a, 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 a situation where all of these phones had wireless USB and then that's your docking solution because that's what wireless B is being uh, wireless USB is being set up as. So I, I'd be more excited if they were going in that direction. Jason, actually, to that point, I have a, a question for you. Do you think that this might be... Now, I'm far from uh, a, a hardware expert, so forgive my naivete, but do you think this might be a way to, uh, for Apple to, to start training their audience to use one connector, one standard, and kind of moving... You know, Maybe wireless USB is too much of a jump for the audience, but this might be training the audience to start using one standard and, and a more uh, consolidated, consolidated way of connecting devices with wireless being the next step after that. So, so Dan, you're saying um, instead of a separate uh, USB and then you have your video like HDMI yeah, right, or right. That, bringing those together. And it could be, um, although the one surprise is that USB 3.0 actually does a bit of that as well. And so that was my next is, question, actually. Like, how, yeah. how will this compete with, with other manufacturers who are creating USB 3.0? What's this do to, to Apple's relationships with the those who are working on the 3.0 spec? Yeah, it's a big question for me as well. Uh, I, I thought wireless USB was coming and was going to be the next big thing. And so Lightpeak sort of uh, leapfrogging it was not totally expected. I mean, they're competing standards, certainly. But maybe Apple throwing its weight behind Lightpeak is, is possibly what could be uh, you know, tipping it over the edge. Yeah, and along with the the, the integration of Lightpeak uh, and 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 what they're calling Thunderbolt, which is, why do they have to do that? Just call it Lightpeak. Does it need to have a different name? Is Lightpeak so hard for people to understand? It's uh, like the Nintendo Wii. You know, it was the Nintendo Revolution. Yeah, it's like, right. What? That was awesome. It was a great name. It the Wii. Yeah, it was like what? I understand them taking IEEE thirteen ninety four and calling it Firewire. Firewire sounds cooler <laughs> than yes. IEEE thirteen ninety four, but Lightpeak sounded pretty cool. I wonder if this could be the kind of thing where, you know, Lightpeak being a standard that could potentially be worked into other manufacturers, let's say HP or Dell, uh, work Lightpeak into their devices. Apple wants to be the first to market with a, a device that has Lightpeak, and they want to brand it so that in the consumer's mind, they think Lightpeak, or I'm sorry, they think Thunderbolt and not Lightpeak, so that when competing yeah. specs come out, they could say, well, we have the Apple that, that's not nearly as good as Thunderbolt. And honestly, this MacBook Pro refresh, if these rumors are true, which they are just rumors, but if they're true, it doesn't look like a huge refresh. I mean, we get dual-core i5 processors. We get Lightpeak. Uh, they'll, they'll move to an Intel graphics processor on board in some of the, the lower brands, although we don't know about the 15 and 17-inch because all we're seeing is specs on a 13-inch. Uh, but, you know, adding an SDXC card slot uh, really, really isn't a huge refresh. On the other side... We have HP offering up some very sexy new business laptops, uh, the Elite Books and the Pro Books, using a new design they call Forge. 
and I have to shout it because it's it's uh, spelled in all caps. Forge is a uh, magnesium and aluminum chassis, uh, single machine, you know, unibody type of thing. Sound familiar? Uh, although the difference between this and a MacBook is the bottom panel is a single large piece that you remove by squeezing a latch and sliding it off, making it really easy for you to get in there and change your RAM, change your hard drive, uh, do, do any kind of modifications that you want. Uh, if IT folks are worried about people popping that latch and, and damaging things in the, in the workplace, you can actually secure it with a single screw. If you're worried that you're going to do the same thing, you could do that. Uh, HP's new 14 and 15.6 inch P series notebooks, the elite books, so to speak, uh, start at $1,000. So these are a lot more affordable uh, than than most MacBook Pros. This is the Elite Book starting at $1,000. The lesser brands that are more like MacBook Pro 13-inch or MacBooks uh, start at $799 for the ProBook B series and $579 for the so-called Multimedia S series. Uh, the, the, but the biggest spec we haven't I haven't even mentioned yet is they claim 32 hours of battery life on the Elite Book 8460p. Uh, is that even yeah. possible? Um, I think that what they're doing, you know, off. yesterday Lenovo made a similar announcement, which was kind of the funny thing about this um, announcement today. I'm sure HP had it uh, on the radar, but what they did was yesterday Lenovo said that it had a 30 hour. And what Lenovo said was that it comes with a nine cell battery that has about 15 hours of battery life. Um, and then it has an additional nine cell battery accessory that doubles ah, it. So you, you have to add an extra battery to get to 32 hours. Yes. Okay. Even so. And you have to do a solid-state drive, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm certain that this must be solid-state drive. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, here we go. 32 hours. If you use Intel graphics, a 160-gigabyte Intel flash memory solid-state drive, and the LED HD display with Windows 7, then... With that extra battery, you can tweak it up to 32 hours. Uh, even if it doesn't get to 32 hours, even if it falls a little short, still, you're talking 24-hour battery life. Oh, yeah. And, and 15 hours, to be clear, 15 hours on a 9-cell battery is pretty good stuff. I, I, I mean, I remember just a year ago when the iPad um, came out and people were getting, you know, 10, 11 hours on that, going like, whoa, this is a game changer for me. Um because I can go all day or I can go on a, a really long cross-continental flight and not have to recharge and that kind of thing. And there's some laptops that you can get that approach sort of eight, nine hours. Um, but 15 hours, we're talking, you know, kind of game changer. Yeah, these uh, are these are good-looking, well-specced, Sandy Bridge processor laptops uh, for reasonable prices. Start, you know, starting at $9,000 or starting at $1,000 on the high end. Uh, you can get you can get the cheaper ones less than a thousand dollars for the starting configuration. So, this is this is something worth looking at if you're if you're interested in getting a new laptop. Uh, I would I would say look hard at these. Wait and see what the what the Apple laptops look like. Look at the ThinkPads. You know, look 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 at a few other brands. But uh, HP they, they didn't do so hot in impressing people with their consumer series of laptops. But these these are business laptops. They did a much better job there. I yep. Think. 
Definitely. Take a look at those Lenovo's too, because they are Sandy Bridge. They are, you know, offering the similar battery life uh, as well. And the uh, same thing with with both Lenovo and HP. Their lower end stuff is not very good, not very durable. Their higher stuff, the Elite Book and the ThinkPads, you know, like the T four hundred series and above um, for Lenovo. Good stuff and and durable and and definitely approaches the the sort of MacBook Air like uh, you know quality. All right, let's move away from from some hardware uh, and talk about Google's services. They are now finally uh, releasing Android two three three for the Nexus One and the Nexus S. Uh, that you can uh, you can get it on either Nexus. This is the nice thing about having the Nexus. It's the reference design, right? So you you get the uh, updates right away. Now, one interesting thing: if you're a Nexus S user, you are going to lose some functionality in this upgrade. Google is disabling contact sync for Facebook. Uh, they say that Facebook has been violating their terms of service and they've made an exception in the past and they're no longer going to make that exception. All apps have to use the Google API for contact information. Facebook has been violating that by keeping the contact data in the cloud, essentially storing it on Facebook and then allowing it to show up in the Android contact manager. Google says, not going to allow that anymore. You either have to export that contact information or it's not going to show up and we're, we're going to block it. Uh, we're not going to allow it to be integrated. This is a continuation of that war that Google started a while ago saying, we want Facebook to have data exportability. I think this is bad for everyone. Uh, it, it's, this, is, this is one of those uh, uh, passive-aggressive pissing matches that, that uh, you know, we're seeing Twitter do some of the same things. And, and it's one of those instances where the correct business decision, and per perhaps your your corporate attorneys or uh, uh, the higher levels of management are are really pushing uh, the product manufacturers to to uh, do something like this to block that API. But at the same time, the consumer who looks at that device isn't going to know or care. And it's really one of the things that makes Google. It does not ingratiate them. It does not make them feel warm and fuzzy in the consumer's eyes. And all they will experience, all the consumer will experience. Is, is a failure of their contacts to load on their very expensive phone. Now, some I would imagine the Android market is, is much more uh, technologically savvy, but, but nobody is going to come out looking good in this situation. It might be one of those things where Google could have spun the PR. They could have let this happen, or they could have degraded the service. They could have done something with the PR that, that would make them look, you know, take the high road. I agree. Um, I, I also think that this is this shows the increasing tension between Google and Facebook. I mean, these guys are really competing for talent. A lot of people from Google have been jumping over to Facebook. Uh, I think Google feels increasing pressure from analysts and and the industry to um, you know get more social, even though that's really not in their DNA. And I, I think maybe is kind of a mistake, but. Um, you know, and Facebook is feeling the pressure to have, you know, its revenue is not ramping up um, in the same way that Google's did in the same period. So they're under pressure to kind of, you know, be as, uh, as aggressive and as much of a growth company as Google was at a similar phase. So these guys are, there's a little bit of a cold war developing between these two. And I, I, I sort of see this as, as uh, sort of, 
some uh, evidence of, of the increasing friction there is between them. Yeah, yeah. you're exactly right, Jason. It's, it's one of those instances, however, where, where that Cold War shouldn't ever affect the consumers. You know, the consumer should not, not know or have to care about this war. And, and I really think, you know, the key to this story is it betrays insecurities. Now, this is not the first time we've seen, like you said, they've been, they've been in a, a little Cold War for quite a while, but it betrays all of those insecurities that you just highlighted. And, and I think that it, it'll have the opposite effect, especially with, with you know, Google's board and their, uh, uh, their customers. I, I think that this is the kind of thing that will just, it's like when you like that girl just too much and you, you shouldn't email her, but you do. Google's doing the same things. They're betraying their own insecurities. They really like fa this Facebook, but Facebook yeah. isn't, isn't doing what they want. Facebook right, they isn't like satisfying the, their needs. They like what they got. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a quick break. We've got some cell phone radiation news. We've got uh, the FTC looking into Apple, uh, but I want to thank our sponsor at squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. If you want a good example of one, go to swordandlaser.com. Veronica and I use it for the Sword and Laser podcast. Uh, it's a great way to put together a good-looking website, make it look nice, make it look pretty, and do it easily. They've got great tools, great plugins for you to put together a website, even if you're a design dummy like me, or not. If you're, if you're into CSS and you know how to tweak the code, you can get underneath. You can, you can tweak it to your heart's content and then lay back and get a little lazy and just use the modules. And then when you see something, go back in and tweak again. It's, it's perfect for everybody. And they allow you data exportability. You can bring your data in uh, from movable type blogger, type pad, WordPress, import your entire blog the way it is right now, and seamlessly transfer over to Squarespace. And if you ever decided to leave, you can take it with you as well. They guarantee data exportability as well. Try out their form builder, their Flickr plugin, their Twitter widget, their Google Maps, and more for free for 14 days. Go to squarespace.com slash TNT. If you go to squarespace.com slash TNT, that lets them know you were listening to our show and you support our show. And you can sign up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. Uh, in fact, if you want to make a, a blog supporting the Facebook Google Cold War and reporting on it. You could do it right now absolutely free. Go to squarespace.com slash TNT and try it out. All right, I actually use Squarespace, Squarespace for, uh, for my personal site. Do you um, know? JasonHatter.com. Yeah, oh, I really? do. And, and um, uh, I was amazed at the, the templates and stuff they have. I've built sites from scratch a lot, and I needed to kind of get mine up, you know, quick. I didn't want to have to go through a whole development process. And I, I really was pretty impressed with uh, with the tools, I mean, I didn't have to use really anything um, to, to build the site and to to uh, do all of the design and everything. It was pretty impressive stuff. So I just threw you, that we're, out. We're using it for the next iteration of the ABC News Radio website. Look you at know, that. ABCNewsRadio.com is old. Uh, that's that's the current site, but we're, we're in the process of replacing it with ABCNewsRadioOnline.com. Uh, and uh, we're using Squarespace for that. Squarespace.com slash TNT if you want to be like Jason Heiner and ABC News Radio. <laughs> oh, we're not paid to say that. No, they aren't. I am. Uh, there you go. But I still say it. AT&T, uh, I'm sorry, Apple is under investigation from the FTC, but it's not for the reason you might think. Uh, it has nothing to do with their in-app subscriptions system. It has to do with their in-app payment systems. Uh, Representative Edward Markey of the U.S. Congress wrote an open letter to the FTC last week over Apple's use of in-app purchases to sell gaming add-ons to kids, and apparently there have been lots of stories kicking around about kids running up $500, $1,000 bills 
by playing a game and buying content in the app. Are, are you guys worried about this sort of thing with kids? No. I, Not I think really. That there is. Yeah. There are responsible solutions to these problems, and and uh, I, I think that right, anytime we bring bureaucracies into into uh, uh, places where a user experience fix could solve things, no good will come of that. Well, and right now you can go into settings, general restrictions, and turn off in-app payments, but that turns it off for you. So if you share the device with your kid, they can theoretically start buying stuff in-app. Although, after you've logged in with your password, it expires in 15 minutes. So if you haven't put in your password, you just wait 15 minutes before you give it to, to a child. And they won't be able to, unless they can guess your password, which probably in some cases they could, but they well, won't be able to buy stuff in-app. You know, a great solution to this would be, you know, Google just turned on the two-tier uh, authentication. If you're a Google user and you want to log in, uh, you can elect to have them... Uh, send you an SMS, a text message with a, 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 an additional password that allows you access to the site. Something like that would be a great solution to this. If in-app purchases or even app purchases are detected, you can have it SMS a, a predefined number. And sure. uh, you need to enter Although that they've code. got your phone. True. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they do. I mean, they could be doing it from iTunes. They yeah, could, could be, be doing, doing it from an from, iPad. Or if you were to... It's in-app, though. The idea is that you're in the app. You're in the Smurfs app. And yeah, sure, the kids sure. don't know your password, right? They don't need to know your password because you just logged in 15 minutes ago or less. So all they do is say, I want to buy this. And the thing says, yeah, we got your password. No problem. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think this is an FTC solution. I, I, do, I do think that they should be on the lookout for companies um, that are building apps Predator. to try to game it and get around maybe parental um, restrictions, but I, I think this is one of those things best left to the parents. They they should realize pretty quickly if they, you know, check their bills that oh my gosh they just spent thirty bucks on Smurfs, you know, um, this year or, or this month. Um, then uh, you know then they can adjust from there or basically just be aware of the fact that 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 these uh, that these apps have that. Maybe the app should in you know in a best practice um, you know send some sign up message up pop up like okay if you're if you're putting in your password for this you're also um you know authorizing in-app um additional in-app purchases that kind of I, thing. I think you just make it configurable so that as a parent i can go in and say ask for my password every time right uh, yes. and that and that way yes. you run in you don't have this problem of like well i don't want to turn off in-app purchases but i i do want it to ask for my password or even say like Perfect. reduce the time to five minutes or you know let me set the amount of time that that password will last for so it's not so annoying if i'm buying five tracks on itunes it keeps asking me for the password but i know i you know i just wait five minutes or force a logout before you hand it over to your kids. I think that's the way they should do it. There you go. Much better. Meanwhile, uh, Google is no longer asking for children's social security numbers. You may wonder why they were asking in the first place. Uh, it was part of a contest called Doodle for Google Art that's been going on. Uh, it's open to kids kindergarten age through the last year of high school. And Google opened, to the, con opened the contest this year to any child even if their school hadn't registered. Previously, a school had to have registered for the contest for a kid to take uh, place. Now a student can take uh, place in the contest and make their own Google Doodles without having to have their school registered. But to keep the entries distinct from each other, Google was asking for identifying information. In addition to parental consent, they also asked for your city, birth year, and last four digits of social security number. 
Uh, a few people pointed out, you know, with that information, because Social Security numbers are based on year and region, I can guess people's Social Security numbers. So maybe Google shouldn't want had, take all of that information. Uh, and Google has since removed their request for Social Security numbers. Do you think they were up to anything, any no good stuff here, uh, Jason? Or, or do you think this was just uh, somebody not thinking something through all the way? Yeah, I think it was the latter. I think it's probably somebody not really thinking it through. But the important thing to uh, for, for everybody to know, if you're not already aware, is that uh, one of the most common, um, uh, you know, and sort of insipid sort of cases of fraud right now is people using children's social security numbers uh, to, to fake, you know, as, as fake uh, social security numbers that they use for fraud. So uh, because, you know, parents may not have their kids' social security numbers on um, a regular check or, um, you know, alert system like they might have for their own to, to, for fraud detection. So it's one of those things, if you have kids, that you might want to add their social security numbers to the regular checks that you do for your own so that uh, you know that somebody's not trying to steal your kid's social number and then use it um, in a fraud case, and then you don't realize until several years down the road that, you know, your kid has all of a sudden, your, you know, your seven-year-old kid has a, a suspect uh, credit rating um, before they're, you know, even reach uh, yeah. adulthood. I'm not even 12. Why is my credit rating in the toilet? <laughs> I think, I think exactly. one of the really interesting things, like, like you just said, Jason, uh, uh, fraud occurs based on these, these ways that we as adults are able, like, we have identity servers, just like Facebook or OpenID act as online identity servers. Now we're seeing for the first time ever this, you know, prior we had identity server, that is the government issuing you a social security number. That is tied to a bunch of, of very, you know, important identifiable information about you. And now we're in this day and age where the services that we use sometimes, I mean, this may be a, a Google Doodle service, but Google is also an identity provider and presumably this is one attempt by Google to, to, you know, I don't want to say hook, but get kids using Google services very early and keep them Google customers. Google is a way that kids will identify themselves to the larger open. You think this is Google's Joe channel. Camel? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I don't th I think this was a bad decision made by, by somebody higher up. Uh, but, but it's really interesting how we're seeing these, these casual, this casual mingling of, of, services with very important identifiable services and how they're, they're becoming the same. All right, I've got a couple more stories to discuss before we get to the news fuse. Uh, one, I just wanted to make uh, some clarifications on. A new cell phone radiation study is out. And uh, these often cause lots of ridiculous headlines and misunderstandings. Uh, a study is to be published in the Journal of the American Medical Association today, February 23rd. It is done by Nora Volkov of the National Institutes of Health and Dardo Tomasi of the Brookhaven National Lab. What it says is the use of a cell phone on average showed about a 7% boost in sugar usage in the side of the head where the cell phone was. Now, sugar usage is just a way of tracking activity in the brain. So they, they, they injected your brain with radioactive sugar uh, to track that. Uh, this is, as Tomasi points out in the study, several times less activity than the visual regions of the brain show during an engaging movie. So this isn't a ridiculously intense amount of activity. But what they did is they took 47 subjects and tied two Samsung NACs. 
K-N-A-C-K, uh, cell phones to their heads. One was off, and the other, uh, or I, actually, I think one was not taking a call. It was on, but not taking a call. The other was taking a call, and they found that 7% boost on the side with the one taking a call. So it was, it was actually receiving more radiation than the other side. Uh, and just so you know, the specific absorption rate of the Samsung NAC is rated at one watt per kilogram. The iPhone is rated at two, just as a reference. So this wasn't a uh, particularly high SAR-rated phone. High, it wasn't a highly radioactive phone. As a comparison, laying out in the sun and sun tanning will give you a specific absorption rating of five watts per kilogram. So even the iPhone is less than just being out in the sun. I just wanted to walk through the study because people are going to see this headline and think, oh, they, they showed radiation increase in the, in the side of the head with the phone. It doesn't mean there isn't harm, but it doesn't mean there is. All it says is, hey, there is an effect. Well, that's, let's take the next step in this study and find out what that effect means. If they found no effect, that, you'd, you'd stop. You, you kind of need this kind of research to keep going. Yeah. No, good stuff, Tom. Good for bringing it up and, and putting sort of a sane perspective on it. I'd also like to thank the human subjects that had the phones, you know, connected to their head for however many hours, you know, taking one for the team. You know, good on those guys, too. Yeah, I wonder if it's like uh, Pharmaco, where you get, you get paid to come in and do, do, <laughs> oh, the, yeah. do the studies. Oh, yeah. You get paid for that kind of human study. Also, uh, AT&T uh, has a, an upload problem. Uh, you may have heard about this. 4G phones on AT&T have had issues with the upload. Not so much in the download. They're fast on the download, but folks aren't able to use some of the services that need upload, like, like a Skype or a Quick or something like that. And Gadget reports a source is telling them that essentially all handsets for AT&T are required to handshake with AT&T as if they were on the 3GPP Release 5 protocol, as if they were 3GPP Release 5 phones. What that means is they're on a 3G handshake and Release 5 lacks support for HSUPA. HSUPA stands for High Speed Uplink Packet Access, and it has uplink speeds of up to 5.76 megabits per second. So these AT&T phones aren't using the fast upload service that they should have access to, that the phones are capable of. Uh, and Engadget Source believes that Release 6 certification for those phones may happen within a month or two. Uh, significantly, the iPhone 4 is exempt, according to their source. The iPhone 4 does get to use HSUPA. Uh, now, Jason, you just reviewed uh, the Inspire, right? Which is one of these phones we're talking about. Yes. So I, um, for the past week, I've been using, um, I've got it right here, the HTC Inspire. Excellent phone. Oh, I got it. Oh, there we go. Um, the, uh, the HTC Inspire. Excellent phone. A lot like the HTC Evo, only it has the uh, aluminum unibody, more like the... Um, uh, you know, the, some of the other HTC phones like the Nexus One. Um, anyway, was, was pretty impressed with the Inspire, but I kept running into this one issue, uploads. It's like the upload speeds were not good. Uh, and it's, it's, I have an HSPA connection, um, getting really good download speeds, but all of a sudden, you know, I, every time I tested it, the upload speeds weren't, good, uh, weren't that good. And I tested it next to an iPhone 4, which is not on HSPA Plus uh, like the Inspire, um, but it does have HSUPA. And so it was getting, you know, a, a meg upload, of, you know, one meg to 1.2 megs upload with the iPhone 4. 
Inspire, three to 400K. So I was like, boy, what's going on? I, I asked HTC about this. Um, they basically only said, uh, well, you may not have you know, an HSPA plus enabled um, SIM card. Um, that wasn't true. Uh, they came back and said, oh no, actually you do have an HSPA plus enabled SIM card. And so until the last couple of days when I saw these stories, of um, you know other testers having the same issue, then I realized, oh, this is what's going on. This thing really is just not getting HS um, the HSUPA uploads. And so, the the interesting thing as I as I researched this a little bit that I heard was that it's not possible for this um, device to have a radio apparently that doesn't have HSUPA that somehow um, AT&T is using a firmware uh, or software uh, setting to disable the HSUPA. I don't know why, to, you know, limit well, the, uploads. Yeah, the, the, the theories are that the, the network is, they're afraid the network can't take all of the uploads from these new 4G phones if everybody yeah. starts using them. Dan, do you, have, do you have a theory on that? Well... No, I, I I am not an expert. I am a user when it comes to uh, to how these devices connect and why they connect. But I part of me. So no, I am not an expert. Like a, I'm not giving you legal or any kind. But I wonder if this is AT and T's lag in in increasing the the not just capacity but the ability of their network and being very very behind you know they just didn't care about android until uh, the verizon iphone i wonder if their network and their technology is just out of date and they're not willing to cop to it I, that very well could be as well all right a little uh, bit scared yeah yeah we'll, we'll keep an eye on it for you uh let's move on to the news fuse In what very well may be the worst phone software update ever, Microsoft has decided to stop sending Windows Phone 7 updates to Samsung phones temporarily. Widespread reports of the update bricking the phones led to the decision. Microsoft has identified the issue, says they're working on a fix. Uh, the worst part is that this update didn't even add new features to Windows Phone 7. Didn't add copy-paste. It just updated the software updater tool, which apparently needs fixing now in union news not to do with uh, wisconsin chinese workers were injured while uh, making touch screens for mobile devices including iphones have written to apple asking it to do more to help them some 137 workers suffered adverse health effects following exposure to a chemical known as n-hexane the chemical is no longer being used the workers feel as though they have not received enough compensation for the adverse health effects uh, at Apple's annual meeting today, shareholders defeated a proposal opposed by the board that would have required the company to report openly on the executive succession planning it now keeps to itself. The proposal brought by the Laborers International Union took on additional import with the, indefinite, with the uh, indefinite medical leave, of course, of CEO Steve Jobs. Modders rejoice if you can afford the Motorola Zoom. You won't get the usual Motorola restrictions on what you can do with the device you paid so much hard-earned money for. Lilliputing.com's Brad Linder reports Motorola has left the bootloader unlocked on purpose, allowing devs and modders to gain deep access to the device for coding of custom ROMs and alternative apps for the Zoom. 
These guys are starting Sweet. to learn. You help the apps developers, they help you. you know? Yeah. The more we can hack, the better. Um, you know what's cooler than $1 million? Ooh, I think Half I'd, of that. A, a billion dollars? A oh. billion? <laughs> what? Yes. $500,000? Wait, how, does fi how is it $500,000? I don't know. I'm reading the copy. It's well, the next line. I know. If you're trying to advertise, that is. Apple, this is very cool, actually. Apple has cut in half uh, the minimum purchase of $1 million for advertisers on its mobile network iAds. Uh, it, this is an effort to attract smaller companies that couldn't afford the initial asking price. Still, it's too pricey to use iAds to push that. Uh, I don't know what that says. It's macrame. Yeah, if, you've, macrame. if you're trying to sell your macrame on Etsy, yes, macrame. you still can't yeah. afford iAds. <laughs> That's damn true. Well, look at that. One year after it started asking prospective employers and reappliers to their Facebook uh, passwords, the Department of Corrections in Maryland has changed their stance. The practice had been temporarily suspended for 45 days, though the department points out supplying, pa the, supplying the passwords was voluntary and did not affect your evaluation. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, at least for 45 days. They've done at least right for 45 days. Yeah. Uh, the movie business has yet again run up record revenue numbers. 2010 theaters around the world reported a combined revenue of $31.8 billion. That's up 8% from 2009. Uh, everybody's still pointing at piracy as a problem, but those receipts are up even though the number of people buying tickets has declined. In the U.S. and Canada, total number of tickets sold fell by 5% last year. Uh, theater owners made up the difference by raising prices an average of 39 cents. And as we talked in the pre-show, probably getting that extra 39 cents from the 3D versions of movies. You know that weird data center that Apple bought in North Carolina that oh, everyone yeah. suspects will use to expand MobileMe and the online version of iTunes? Uh -huh. Well, turns out that Apple told its shareholders this morning what's really going on there, and it's not to store aliens. It's not? It's what is it? Well, it's it's uh, going to be used for uh, iTunes and MobileMe, oh. and it'll open this spring. Yeah. Well, okay. So maybe we'll finally get I, uh, online iTunes by spring. All right, let's finish up with a couple of ways to check out ebooks. I'd literally mean check them out like library books. Internet Archive has joined with 150 U.S. and Canadian libraries to develop a cooperative collection called Open Library at openlibrary.org. Uh, at the same time, Overdrive Incorporated has released the Overdrive Media Console for the iPad, a free app from Apple's App Store that allows you to borrow ebooks for reading on the go with a tablet. Both these services allow you to check out copies of digital books. Libraries have a limited number of copies of each book, and once that number is checked out, you have to wait for people to return them, and uh, you check them out for two-week periods, and then at the end of that two weeks, you I think they get returned. That's the nice thing is there are no more overdue fees because they'll be returned. They'll just stop working. It's kind of weird, though. I mean, they're e-books. There's really no reason for them to be returned or have limited number of copies, but... There yeah, you go. I, you know, did, go ahead, Dan. Uh, you know, I was I was with a friend of mine this weekend who uh, is a librarian. She's not a techie, but she is a librarian, and they're trying to solve a, a lot of these really in, interesting uh, IP issues, intellectual property issues, and licensing issues. And she said, like everything else, they have to get a license, and and that license is for a certain amount of rentals, whether it's virtual or or physical. There still is a license, and and they're now were this is this is the Queen's Library, so I don't know if this applies everywhere, 
But those librarians are also dealing with the ethical challenges of what do you do with e-readers? When budgets are tight and the economy is bad, not every library in the country can afford to buy a library, but because they're supposed to be places of open access and information, the librarians right now are dealing with how do we, how do we license an e-reader and then how do we license content to the e-reader when we both own both? It's just a mess right now. It is. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Jason. I, I was going to say, yeah, this is a really tough problem that, that somebody, I think, out there can put some brain cycles against and try to solve because the old model of lending books really does not work. Um, in, in this sort of world we're evolving into with ebooks, where I think completely the you know disposable reading um, and uh, that we have uh, today is is completely being replaced by ebooks, um, and as well as then sort of long-term reference is kind of being replaced by the internet. But then what do you what do you do when you have something you know in a library setting where you want to let people have access to it? Do they do they have to go in there to to access it, or can they access it? You know, can you give somebody a time bombed version, a two week version of a of a book, an ebook to check out? Um, I just there aren't really any good answers to this yet. But it is it really is one of the most interesting problems that I think um, is going to be solved sometime in this decade. You well, know, what the, mu the music industry is doing is charging outlandish fees, or what? I, I mean, they're probably not outlandish considering government budgets sometimes, but they're they're charging large fees for libraries to be allowed to give a certain number of tracks out for free to patrons per per month. Maybe it's small, like five tracks, but those tracks don't need to be returned. They don't have DRM on them because the music industry yeah. has learned about DRM. I think ebooks should do the same thing. You should be able to check out maybe one book a month for free, and then you get to keep that book. You get to keep that file and read it. Uh, it, it makes even more sense with books where you're less likely to repeat read them, whereas music you're going to listen to over and over and over again. Uh, so I I don't know I think it's silly I think it's silly to force people to return ebooks but I do like the idea of free open access to books uh, and if this is what we have to do to get on our way there I'm all for it let's move on to the calendar Apple announces a March second special event uh, at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts here in San Francisco at 10 a.m. Pacific time and would you look at that. The Yerba Buena Center for the Arts is right next to the Moscone Convention Center where the Game Developers Conference is happening. And oh, look at that. At March 2nd at 10 a.m. when Apple is having its announcement, Nintendo's CEO Satoru Iwata is having his keynote right next door. I wonder, I mean, obviously this is going to be the iPad 2, if the Apple announcement will focus on the gaming aspects of the iPad 2. No, it's about the new chargers they're going to release, right? The battery chargers? I could be totally wrong. You, I could be totally wrong, Dan. It might be new chargers. It might be uh, the revival of the Cube. Uh, Jason, any other bets? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's anything nefarious about it. I think it's just Apple being completely self-centered and, um, uh, you know, myopic, as they often are, and, and, and not really even caring what else is going on. It's rude by omission. In other words, they didn't rude, look exactly. to see who was right. up. They said, we're going to do this at 10 a.m. We don't care what else is going on. We're not even aware of what else is going on. We're going to do our announcement. Can't get the Moscone Center because some other convention's going on? Fine. We'll do it right, right next door. That one's available. Uh, other stuff on the can calendar, the final Android 3.0 platform and updated SDK tools are out. So if you're an Android developer, that's good news for you today. Sprint is going to rename its HTC 7 Pro the Arrive, and it will come along 
I just I couldn't do arrive twice. Uh, it will arrive tomorrow, February 24th, and be the first Windows Phone 7 phone on CDMA. Uh, we're expecting a ruling in the extradition of Julian Assange tomorrow, February 24th. Dan, any bets? Is it going to be extradited to Sweden? Um, I, I am not allowed to speculate on that. However, uh, if you'd like to learn more about the, the real-time inner workings of, of WikiLeaks, right now I'm wrapped up in, in two wonderful books, one by the New York Times called Open Secrets, and I think it's only a Kindle book, but uh, it's a you know seven eight bucks and and really worth uh, checking out for a, a fairly objective look at, at what's happening. The other is called Inside WikiLeaks by uh, uh, one of Assange's right hand men, uh, and 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 both will give you far less of the hyperbole and speculation that we have floating around everywhere, and really give you a sense of, uh, as to the, this man and the mission of the organization. Rupert Murdoch's The Daily is Apple only for now. Rumor is that it will be coming to Android this spring. Uh, Toyota is going to start selling home battery chargers in 2012. There'll be an outdoor version and an in-garage version. They'll be fairly expensive, a few thousand dollars, but they will be compatible with other charging systems besides Toyota. Things like the Nissan Leaf will work with them. And uh, finally, as we've been reminding you, we will be going to South by Southwest Saturday and Sunday, March 12th and March 13th. Go to inside.twit.tv for all the details. We will be having a meetup on that Sunday, March 13th at Momo's. So inside.twit.tv for all the details. Finishing up with some email to TNT at twit.tv. USZ uh, sent us an email with an, a link to a YouTube video. And he says, the future, just shoot me now. I like computers, but stupid kids being obnoxious will leave me behind as an old-fashioned computer user. Now, Dan, Jason, I want you guys to, to watch this. If you Tell me if this bugs you already, or inspires you. Because you haven't seen anything like us yet. In just 10 years from now, we'll be buying and influencing buying in ways that will confound you. We won't just watch your ads. We'll expect smart, tailored content based on our social graphs. Tailored for me. 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 And me. We want to interact with it as we watch it, not just with touch, but with voice, with gesture, with intent. You better embed everything that is featured with additional information, social APIs, and e-commerce functionality. And we mean everything. Now this goes on for about two minutes in the same vein of the demanding children telling you exactly what you better put in your ads or we will make you bankrupt. <laughs> I, I don't disagree with the, the content of it because there's a lot of truth to sort of what they're saying, but the delivery really kind of weirds me out. Yeah. It weirds me out. Did you say they're all Cylons? Yeah, they look like little baby Cylons <laughs> and they talk like little baby Cylons. Because we'll all be Cylons. Cylon children will drive you to bankruptcy. <laughs> Love it. Oh. All right. Thank you, uh, Tade USZ, for sending that along. Also, Mark from Pasadena wrote in uh, and pointed out that one of the interesting things about Amazon starting its Amazon Prime streaming service is that Netflix runs mostly on Amazon Web Services. Uh, so they're actually running both of the, the competing streaming video services off of the same servers. This is not a big deal, though. We were talking about this in prep, and 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 you were saying uh, I, I can't remember which one of you actually now was saying that Amazon Web Service is probably separate from Amazon, the way the Kindle is separate from the Kindle Bookstore, uh, because they like to they like to actually have their own departments compete. Was it was it you that was saying that, Dan? 
Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, the last time I checked my my uh, Amazon notifications from AWS, I'm almost positive. Uh, don't quote me on this, but I'm almost positive they're run as independent industries and independent businesses. Or I'm sorry, independent businesses. And and I mean, the whole world runs on Rackspace and Amazon, uh, so it's it's not surprising that so too does Netflix. Although Tom didn't, you had a pretty salient point about that. That well, that, yeah, I uh, think uh, Amazon certainly knew that Amazon Web Services was doing this for Netflix, so they might go and say, "Hey, when when you're done with that, let us know because we'd like to benefit from that experience." Right. Although, I mean, to be fair, you know, Amazon is always well, not always, but but Amazon has had video a video service for for a few years now, and surely that has always run on AWS. So, you know, it's it's a change in the business model, but I don't know if it's a huge change in the infrastructure. All right, our final... Oh, sorry, Jason, go ahead. Uh, I was just to say, it's a little uncomfortable if you're Netflix in the same way, like if Apple, like if Foxconn, who makes all of the, uh, you know, the iPad and the iPhone, said that we're, they're coming out with, an, with, a, uh, with a tablet and a smartphone now, um, would sort of make Apple a little nervous, right? Because they've obviously have access to some inside information about some of the operational, um, you know, parts of this. So I, I just think it is a little uncomfortable. And but you're going to see more of this um, as Amazon, you know, Amazon is the, becoming the 800-pound gorilla of of um, you know e-commerce and the internet, if it isn't already. And, and you're just going to see more and more of this. And, uh, you know, same thing with Google as well, uh, where Google is, wants to host more and more stuff, I think. Um, so this is just part of the future and the world that we live in, I think. In the future, you'll stream every movie we want, whenever we want. Or we will <laughs> destroy your brand with one post on Twitter. Exactly. All right. Uh, finally, uh, Brian writes in and says, I noticed this Tigo Facebook phone sales booth at the ShopRite Mall in Accra, Ghana, Last weekend, I did a double take because you guys have repeatedly reported that Facebook is not making a phone. But clearly in this photo, it says stay connected with the Tigo Facebook phone. And it's got a picture of Facebook up there. Uh, I wonder if um, face it has the Facebook access button. But I, I wonder if Facebook even knows that this uh, Tigo phone exists. If anybody from Facebook is watching the show, they're going, what? <laughs> they did what with our brand name? <laughs> All right, that's it for this edition of Tech News Today. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, big thanks to my guest host today, Jason Heiner, TechRepublic.com. Let folks know uh, what's going on over there. Yeah, Tech Republic, we just launched a uh, an update to our website, a big upgrade uh, this month, about a month ago, actually. And so come on over to Tech Republic. Tech Republic is an online trade publication and community for IT professionals of, of all stripes, network administrators, sysadmins, help desk CIOs. So uh, yeah, come on over and, and check us out. And Dan Patterson from abcnewsradio.com. Lovely to have you on the show as well. Uh, what's going on with you right now? Uh, a ton of stuff is going on. Um, we are in the process, like I said earlier, of uh, launching our new website for ABC News Radio. And uh, I'll be moderating a panel on uh, philanthropy and the social web at South by Southwest on the 12th. Don't to count on me to give you the time right now, but on the 12th of March, um, with uh, with a uh, help attack, I think is is the, uh, the brand behind that panel. So, uh, lots of things. Excellent. We will uh, look for you at South by Southwest, either at your panel or at the parties afterward. One or the other. We will find okay. you with our live view, and we will talk to you. Uh, 
Uh, Jason, we'll miss you at South by Southwest, but we'll definitely have you back on TNT again. Thanks to both of you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Twit.tv slash TNT is our URL, our universal resource locator that you can use with the Hypertext Transport Protocol to find us. TNT at twit.tv is our email. And you can call us and leave us a message, too. 260-TNT-SHOW. Sometimes we play them on the show. So give us a ring, will you? We'll see you tomorrow.